to 34 if you want to read along. You've got Bibles in the pews as well. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was free from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, Who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered, and yet you can ask, Who touched you? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. And then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be free from your suffering. May God's word shape us and form us. Let me just pray for us as we bring our Lord, make these words more than words in our lives. And we pray that you would shape us and form us through hearing and also through the doing. And that we would learn how to balance those two, to always be aware and listening, and also to be acting upon what we are hearing from you. And we pray, Lord, that you would bless Erica as she preaches now, that you would illuminate the word through her and guide her with your Holy Spirit. Help us to hear the words that you want us to hear this morning. Amen. So I, I see a counselor every other week. Um, just as an aside to that, I think counseling is amazing, and I think that every single person should find a good counselor because it helps so much. Um, but um, the point about me, so my counselor is a very sweet, um, lovely, and conscientious person about what's happening um, inside of me. And so she will often, I will come into her office and I'll sit down and I'll explain whatever madness that I had experienced and what I want her to fix or tell me what to do about. And in the sweet way that she does, she'll hear what I have to say and she'll say, oh, so where does that come up in your body? And I've been seeing her long enough that I, I know the answers. And so I'll be like, okay, so I'll pause and I'll think about it. Like, oh, you know, I think I'm feeling it in my stomach. My stomach feels really tight when this thing comes up. Um, or, you know, it's, it's in my shoulders and my neck this time. Like, that's where I'm carrying the anxiety of that. And she's like, oh, okay. And I feel good about myself because I recognized where I'm feeling the, the tension or the anxiety. And she's like, okay, well, how about we just sit with that for a minute and just be aware of what's going on in your body. And internally, I'm like, no, Susan. <laughs> no. Tell me what to do. <laughs> Tell me how to fix it. I do not need to be any more aware of this than I already am. It's there, and I don't like it. So no, I do not want to sit and be aware of what's going on in my body. But in her um, 
what seems to be never-ending wisdom. She um, responds gently again, well, how about we just ground, get grounded a little bit, and then, then we'll, we'll talk about it more. So, how about you just become a little bit more aware of what's going on? And of course, I will follow her instruction, and I will pause, and I will become more aware of what's happening in me and what's coming up, and it never fails that that changes things for me, that that shifts things when I pause just long enough to not just know that something's happening in, inside of me, um, but to actually be aware of what that is and where it's coming from. And I think that a lot of times we are quick to focus on the things that Jesus said, and sometimes we're a little bit slower to look at the way that Jesus lived. In this passage, Jesus really only says one thing, and it's beautiful and it's important. Um, he tells the woman in this passage, your faith has made you well. And that's hugely significant. But this whole passage has these actions of Jesus. And that's what I want us to focus on today. I want us to, to consider Jesus as an example for us in the way that Jesus lived and not just the things that Jesus said. Those things combined. So, in that, I think that Jesus is one of our best examples of the, what it means to live in awareness. To be aware um, of what's going on around us. And I think that being aware is a calling that we have as Christians. I absolutely do. Um, the opposite of being aware is being clueless, una unaware. Yes. There's a particular word that I'm thinking of oblivious. How about ignorant? You're aware of something or you're ignorant of that thing, right? So ignorance is not necessarily a bad, terrible thing. It doesn't make you a bad person to be ignorant of something. We can't know everything. Jesus is our example, but we are not Jesus. Amen? So ignorance does not mean that you are a bad person, but I do think that when we are ignorant, there is a shallowness that we live into. Because if, if we are living ignorant lives, we can't experience the depth of joy and of compassion, and of love, and community, or anger, those sorts of things. We can't feel that depth if we're not, if we're not aware of what's going on. And I do want to take it a little bit farther, because I think when we do get into trouble, and when we do face um, the issue of, of sin coming into the story, is when we choose to live in willful ignorance. Mm -hmm. When we choose ignorance. I would put forward that willful ignorance is unchristian. If something is happening around you, something is happening in someone's life, and you choose to not acknowledge it, and you choose to um, not believe what they say, or step into the story with them, that is willful ignorance, and I think that that is the opposite of what Christ shows us mm -hmm. in Scripture. So, the awareness that I'm talking about is more than just knowledge. You can know something, and it can not change you. I can learn a fact, and it can do nothing in my spirit. It can do nothing um, settling in me. Um, it cannot change anything. But the awareness, Christ-like awareness, it changes us. And it changes the way that we interact, the way that we engage, the way that we live our lives. And I think 
that awareness is part of that shalom living that we've been doing. If my well-being is dependent on your well-being, but I don't know anything about your well-being, how can I live into that in the way that Christ shows us how to? You following? So that's where we're going. And in this passage, um, Jesus gives us a perfect example, I think. I think it's, it's profound, the way that Jesus shows us how, to, how important it is to, and um, how difficult it can be to live in awareness of two things in particular. And those two things are setting and stories. So those are the two things that I want you to remember to take away from this. This is our series about who is Renew, what does it mean to be renewed as a church, um, who do we say that we are, um, and one thing that we want to be is we want to be aware, hashtag be aware, of our setting and of the stories, of, the, of our own stories, but also the stories of all the other image bearers that we come in contact with, because they matter, those stories matter, and our setting matters. So, we're going to use this passage as kind of a, a practice run, if you will, um, because it gives us a lot of really good examples of how to do that. So, when we read through the passage, um, if we want to be aware of what's going on, because that is part of reading scripture, is being aware of the setting. We have to, we cannot just read scripture and pretend like the context doesn't matter. And the awareness that I'm talking about when it comes to setting, and it's if it's, we say that it's more than just knowledge, it's more than just knowing some of the details, um, we could come to the scripture and we could say, well, I know it was a long time ago, and I know that the culture was different than it is now, so I'm good to go. I can read this and I can, you know, get what I need to get out of it. That's the difference I'm talking about. Knowing something is saying, well, I know it was different, I know it was a different culture, and I know it was a long time ago. There we go. Moving, moving forward with my reading. To be aware of the setting is something I want to invite you into right now. And some of this you might already know, um, but I want what you learn about the setting of this story to change the way you hear it. I want, when I learn about the setting and the context of a biblical passage, I want it to change the way I engage with God's word. Because God's word was written at a specific place and time. And it's completely and totally relevant for us today, but it was written in a particular context. And we need to know what that context is to, to get all the little nuances of what God wants us to happen in that passage today. Amen? Amen. So, I'm going to offer some setting. According to the Jewish ideas and laws of the time, if the woman who had been bleeding for 12 years, in this passage it says, um, she had been subject to bleeding for 12 years, so she had essentially been hemorrhaging. Um, to put it in, in simple terms, she had been on her period for 12 straight years. Every day, all day, all night. And so in that time, there were laws that had been established, we read, can read about them back in the book of Leviticus, that essentially said women are unclean at that time of month. And for her, that time of month was all day, every day, every month. So this woman was experiencing being unclean because of something that she had no control over. And we know she had no control over it because it tells us she did it right. She went to all the doctors. She tried all the things. She poured out every last cent that she had. 
to try and be healed, and she wasn't. So she is living in a time, in a place, where one, a woman's value is primarily dependent on marriage and children. Now, if this woman had been married before this bleeding started, um, chances are her husband might have chosen to divorce her because she couldn't have kids for him or she couldn't have any more children for him. If she had not been married when she started bleeding, we don't know her age, so there's no way to know. Chances are nobody wanted to marry her because she couldn't bear them children. So if a woman's value at that day and time is based upon her ability and then subsequently the actual children that she bears, um, and that that ability impacts her getting married and staying married to somebody who actually makes a living in that time, to not have children and to not be married essentially means you have no value. You cannot bring forth anything to society. You have no way to make an income. You are nothing. On top of that, in the culture at the time, worship was life. For the Jewish people, they were God's chosen people, so worship was everything. And there was a hierarchy. The women couldn't go all the way into the temple already, but this woman would have been cast out from the actual society, from the actual community, from the actual temple. She could not have entered the temple because to enter the temple, you have to be cleansed. You have to be clean. And she could not get clean. So, this woman had probably no husband. If she did, he probably didn't want to acknowledge he was married to her anymore. She may or may not have kids, but if she did have kids, she couldn't see them because she was unclean and she couldn't touch them. She could not go into the temple to worship the God of her people. And those laws were in place by the leaders of the church. Israel lived in, there was, a, there was the, the, um, Roman government that they lived under, but really in that society, it was the church. It was the temple. It was the priests and the synagogue leaders who made the rules because that was who they were as God's people. That was the most important thing to them. So this woman had nothing. Whatever little that she had, she had poured out trying to do the right thing and get herself better. She had nothing. Not only that, she was so unclean that if she touched someone else, they became unclean. She had not had contact with people, physical human contact. She had not had somebody touch her on the shoulder or give her a hug or say, I feel you, pat on the back, shake of a hand, none of that for 12 years, at least 12 years. And the best that she could hope for is, is that she was healed, she could maybe integrate a little bit back into society. Maybe she would meet some people who didn't actually know her face, who didn't know that she had been unclean for 12 years and weren't worried. That is her setting. Her story was that she had nothing. Her story was that nobody wanted to get near her. Her story was that she had no choice about her story was that someone else who had the power decided that her life was not valuable anymore based on something that she could not change, even though she tried. That is her story because of her setting. And Jesus knew that. Jesus knew that she had no access to God according to the temple, 
according to the pastors and the preachers and the worship leaders. Jesus knew that. When she went to the, into the crowd to find Jesus, she, did, she knew that she was breaking the rules. There was no way she wasn't touching every person around her because it was crowded. The disciples made that very clear. Why are you asking if someone touched you? Everyone is touching you, Jesus. <laughs> and he thought he was like trying to be funny or something. Hey, you touched me. <laughs> Everyone, yay. <laughs> Jesus knew that too. And so even though the woman tried to keep it a secret, by just touching the hem of his robe, maybe just grazing one of the tassels on the end of his cloak, Jesus was also aware. And here's the thing, Jesus didn't have to say anything. She was healed. The second that she touched his robe, she was healed. He didn't have to acknowledge it. She would have been just as elated to go home, not let anyone know that she had touched him, unclean. But he paused and he turned around and he changed the trajectory of his task at the moment. To name something didn't really need to be named. And not only that, but his task at the moment was significant. He was traveling to help a dying child. And he stopped and turned around and asked and engaged about something that did not seem quite as important. Jesus was already aware, because he's Jesus, fully God and fully human. We are not Jesus. We are not automatically aware of people's stories. We are not even automatically aware of our own context in our own settings. So in order to live like Jesus, what Renew wants to do in being aware the way that Christ is aware is we want to be intentional, always intentional about learning about what's going on around us. Intentionality, ongoing learning so that we can grow in empathy, ongoing growth of our belief in what other people are facing and what's going on around us. And that's part of the reason we do community. Is because if we want to be aware, as aware as possible, with grace, we cannot know everything. But that's why we keep learning. We need to do this together. We have to. Because there are things that I don't know. And I cannot know them. Unless I have a brother or sister who is willing to share with me, or to learn with me, or to share their story or their experience, or what they know of another experience. This is one of the reasons I'm so grateful for Tosh. Tosh is a learner, a studier, a researcher. She listens to podcasts and read books and articles that I would never get around to reading, slash I might take a nap instead. <laughs> so Tosh comes to me and she says, oh my gosh, guess what I just learned? And I'm like, oh, that's awesome. I never would have read that. Thank you for telling me. So I have learned things because I'm in relationship with Tosh. I have learned things about our neighborhood and what people in our neighborhood need and who they are and how beautiful their stories are because Michael knows so much about what life in Linwood is like that I don't know because I haven't lived here, because I don't have the relationships that he has. So when Michael comes to me and says, hey, I know this person and this is what they're facing and can you pray and what can we do? I say, yes, I wanna know. I need to know. I need to be aware of those stories. And I love 
being on staff with Dave. Because Dave, don't blush. You can blush if you want to. Um, because Dave cares about my story. Because Dave comes up to me after a conference full of male pastors. And Dave says, how are you doing? What was that like for you? We want you there. We need you there. What does this touch on in your story? And we need that from each other. I need someone who's aware of my story, who wants to know what it's been like for me, because Dave will never know fully. Dave will never experience what it's like to be a woman pastor. <laughs> but he wants to know. And that changes things. That's the awareness that I'm talking about. The awareness of story and of setting that changes who we are and how we engage. Because Christ showed us that that's how to engage. And Christ's death and resurrection is the perfect and ultimate example of being aware of setting and being aware of stories. Because Christ knew what we were up against. Christ knew what sin had done to our world and to our stories. And Christ knew how unaware we were about the help we needed. So Christ lived this life and died on the cross and was resurrected because Christ was aware of what we were experiencing, even when we may not have been aware. That's why we choose to know, to learn, to take in, to be moved and changed by the stories and the setting. And Jesus was also aware of Jairus' story. Jairus was a synagogue leader. Okay, this is where it gets real. Because our settings are never isolated. Our stories are never isolated. Jairus was the one who was connected to the laws, the rules, the regulations. He was upholding what was keeping down that woman. He represented the synagogue that would not let her in. And quite honestly, he sounds like a pretty good dude in this story. He humbled himself coming to Jesus. He um, loved his daughter, which at the time, daughters, there was no guarantee that you would be quite as loved as much as sons. But you could tell that he desperately loved his daughter. He was humble at the feet of Jesus. He knew he had faith that Jesus could heal his daughter. He sounds like a nice guy. He doesn't sound like an awful person. He was someone with influence, though. He had the access. We don't know his exact role. Um, we don't know if he was more rabbi-esque or if he was more like a patron, like he donated a lot um, to the synagogue. But either way, he was a person of significant influence in that community. Jesus knew all those things, and he still chose to pause, to turn around to engage with a woman who'd already been healed. What she wanted, what she came for, had already been done. I wonder, I can't help but wonder, if Jairus was aware of his setting. We don't know. We don't get a lot of info about how he felt. I mean, chances are he was a I would imagine, he was human, so he was kind of like, what are you doing? Why are you stopping? My daughter is dying. But we don't know if he 
of um, defensiveness and bitterness. Like, how dare you? My daughter is dying and this woman is no one. Or if he said that, thought those things supportively and said, I trust you, Jesus. I trust you. My guess is that he maybe leaned a little bit more toward the uh, resentful side, toward the how dare you side. I don't know. He could have been an amazingly humble and compassionate human being and may have leaned more toward the whatever you choose, Jesus, I trust you. But the reality is that because of where he stood in his setting, he didn't have to be aware. He could have lived his entire life not giving a second thought to a woman like this one. That was a privilege that he had, being a man, being a temple leader, being somebody who was married, had kids, probably had significant um, amount of money or access to all the services he might need. He didn't have to think about those things. And each one of us, there's a way in which we don't have to be aware. A setting in which we don't have to be aware. We all made it somehow to church today. That already tells you. I have a house. I rent a room. I don't own a house. Um, but I have a roof over my head at night. On a snowy weekend like this, I don't have to be aware of the stories of folks who don't have a roof over their head when it snows. I don't have to. Because I can go home. And I can stay warm. And I can be thankful. I can be oh so grateful for my house. Genuinely, authentically thankful to God. But that does not make me aware of what other people are facing at that exact same moment. And I can't know it all. Like I said, we cannot know it all in any one minute. But there's a reason we had soup here last night. We can't do everything, but once we become aware, actually aware, Christ-like awareness, we can't not do something. Mm -hmm. Amen? Amen? Have you thought about this month? It's Black History Month. I am white. Black History Month used to be really cute. It used to make me feel good about myself. Because I was caring about history that wasn't mine. I was acknowledging things that we don't talk about much. Good for me. But it wasn't until I started talking to African-American friends of mine about Black History Month that I gained a different understanding about one, why it's important, but two, what it is not. Because we have a setting in our country. We have a context. And in our context, what people don't always want to acknowledge, what I was not taught growing up, was that in our context, people like Jairus, like me, who have access and who have privilege, oftentimes choose to remain unaware. We choose to be ignorant of the stories that impact our brothers and sisters. That is not Christ-like. Deciding that someone else's story isn't true, isn't worth believing, it's different than what I've experienced, so obviously they didn't experience it that way, they made that up. They're being dramatic. They need to get over it. Things have changed. 
That's not Christ-like awareness. That is willful ignorance. And that's not what Christ does right here. Because guess what? Jairus' pain was probably as significant as the woman's. He was hurting. His daughter was dying. He knew there was a chance that she wouldn't be alive by the time he got Jesus back. That he would miss her final breaths. That's a depth of pain that I have no idea about. This is not about one person's pain being worth more than another. One person's life being more important than another's. Or a person's story being more important than another. This is about awareness of a setting that told this woman the lie that her story didn't matter as much as that man's. And Jesus knew that. Jesus was aware of that. So Jesus pausing, walking to help a dying child, and turning back simply to talk to a woman who had already been healed at the touch of his robe was an act of protest against a society that had lied to her her entire life. He was not saying, you matter less, she matters more. He was saying, what you have learned is wrong, and the only way we are going to combat that is by making everyone aware of what's going on here. And guess what? There was abundance. We don't know how Jairus would have interacted, but there's a part of me that imagines that there were two op those two options, right? Defensiveness and bitterness or support. And if Jairus and this woman had been in the same family, if they had been doing life together, say, I can't help but imagine that he would have been rejoicing at that. That even though there was pain at the loss, that he would have been able to trust enough in God's abundance and to know enough, to be aware enough of her story to say, praise God, you are doing this for my sister. And it's not easy to say that because when we have privilege and when we have power, when we have something already, letting go of that feels like we're losing something. He felt like he was losing something, I'm certain. Because Jesus turned away from what he needed to offer something that she needed. But when we are aware of the setting, we can say, yes, yes. Because her entire life had built up to that moment. Because everyone around her believed those lies. That's what I'm talking about when I say, we need to be aware like Jesus was aware of the setting. How does that impact people and the stories? What did they experience? Do I believe them? Imagine if Jesus had known the details <coughs> but hadn't had a deep awareness of the story. The woman comes through the crowd, touches his cloak, and Jesus recognizes that the power had gone from him. Someone had been healed. And he says, who touched me? His disciples say, everyone is touching you. He said, no, who touched me? And she comes out and tells him the whole story. And he looks at her and he says, you broke the rules. You weren't supposed to touch all these people. 
everyone around you unclean. How selfish is that? Just so that you could be healed? You inconvenienced all these people. You didn't go through the correct steps. You didn't follow the appropriate avenues for healing. Imagine. Imagine if you knew the story, but he was not aware of that woman's humanity, the reality that she had faced and the way that that was impacted by everything that had been put in place without her choice in mind. There was a, a yoga studio in South Seattle about four or five years ago. And um, they had weekly people of color yoga classes. <laughs> and you chuckle, sounds fantastic, yeah. Um, it took one radio host to highlight that class and to dub it as racist because white people couldn't go for that entire class and studio to have to close their doors. Because one person decided that they needed to let everyone know that the stories of the people who needed that class didn't matter. That's what I'm talking about. When we are aware of people's stories, we are aware of people's pain, when we decide that we are going to believe people when they tell us something about what they've experienced, when we decide that we are going to learn what happened in this country. This morning, I was talking to a friend um, that I knew years back about the fact that three years ago, okay, get this, three years ago, I learned that there was a Japanese internment camp 20 minutes from my house growing up. The place I lived for 14 years, elementary school, middle school, high school, history classes. And I, granted, they may have mentioned it, but that did not sink in, and we certainly never took a trip to the historic site. That 20 minutes from where I grew up, people were wrongfully imprisoned. There was essentially a concentration camp as far away from my house as my mother's work. Did they think it was important to make us aware of that? No. Would that have changed the way I interacted with people around us? Would that have changed the way that I did life as a Christian? Yes, it would have. Because it would have made it so much more real to me. And I learned that three years ago at a conference in Seattle because the person leading the conference had been to that camp. She said, I went to Jerome, Idaho, to the Minidoka historic site. And I was like, what? Jerome? <laughs> I dated a kid from Jerome. <laughs> I had no idea. To be aware of the stories and the setting that we live in is to believe something different is to believe that someone can experience something that we haven't experienced. Which seems obvious, right? Of course your experience can be different than mine. But over and over again, we do this. We choose not to. We choose ignorance. Because it's hard. It's hard to be aware of things that we wish didn't exist. 
but wishing they didn't exist doesn't make them go away. And no, it is not racist for people of color to have a yoga class and to ask white folks to not attend. It's not. Just like it's not sexist for me to want to go to a women's pastor's conference because I need that in my spirit sometimes. Because my story is different even though our settings are the same. And I think about the other way that Jairus could have responded. Defensiveness, bitterness, what was going on in here? What if the internal dialogue inside Jairus wanted him to turn around and see what Jesus was doing and scream, sexism! That's reverse sexism. You're only helping her because she's a woman. And that is sexist against me and my family. I worked hard. I didn't have anything given to me. I started out poor. I got educated. I love God with every fiber of my being. I am trying to help the poor through the church. But you chose to turn around and let my daughter die just because she's a woman and just because she has this illness. That's not fair to me. I hope you're seeing some of the connections. We cannot respond that way if we believe that Jesus is for all of us. And if we believe that what has happened in our world is not because God caused all these awful situations. God did not cause the pain that we experience. God did not cause what happened in history that got us to today. There's brokenness. And if we believe that, we need to engage with that brokenness in a way that says, I see what it's doing to other people. And I'm not okay with that. Because that's what Jesus did. Jesus looked around, took what he knew about the society, the hierarchy, the patriarchy, the sexism, and Jesus said, that reality right now is most important. You've been healed, but you need to know that the way you've been treated, the world you've experienced, is not my shalom. That is Christ-like awareness. That is what we strive toward. Because we also believe that there is abundance. We believe that God can turn and can resist sinful society, change societal structures and unjust systems, and then turn and bring a child back to life. There is enough room for that. Because God is a God of abundance and justice and mercy. Amen? Amen. We want to celebrate what our brothers and sisters experience with Christ. Even if it wasn't exactly what we wanted. Even if it didn't answer the questions we had. The things we thought we got to have. That we deserved. Because we worked hard. Because we prayed the right prayers. We went through the right avenues. Took the right steps. Didn't break any of the laws. Did the right things. But that is not the kingdom of God because our world is broken. Our world is hierarchical. 
Our world is a patriarchy. Our world is racist and sexist. We don't like it, but it is. And if we refuse that, then we are willfully ignorant of people's stories and people's needs and people's experiences in this world, in this setting, in these bodies that we inhabit. My hope is that, is that in Jairus' heart of hearts, he did have this awareness. He had some sliver of the Holy Spirit offering him a Christ-like awareness that said, yes, God, I recognize what she's been put through. I recognize how I've been part of that. I recognize that being a leader in the synagogue that carried out these laws has caused her harm in her body, in her spirit. And I didn't personally injure her, but I was actively involved in what did. A system that forced her to be isolated, condemned, rejected, dehumanized, sometimes demonized, because of course she did something wrong that caused her to believe for 12 years. And I would hope that Jairus would have said, I rejoice for her. I rejoice, Jesus, in your decision to turn and to name that and to let her know that she is even more valuable than simply being healed in her body. That is doing life together. That is what we want to be as a church. In our Zara verse, in our founding verse, in Isaiah 61, we talk about how God has sent us to bind up the brokenhearted, proclaim freedom for the captives, proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, comfort those who mourn, provide for those who grieve, that we will be oaks of righteousness because of those things. Rebuilding ancient ruins. Restoring places devastated. We need to know what's been devastated. And we need to know why it's been devastated. Or we can't bring the fullness of who Christ was. Jesus cared about the why. If it was just about what happened, her healing at the touch of his robe would have been enough. But Jesus said that's not enough. You need to know this story. You need to be aware of what's happening in your you need to know that she, her story, her experiences, her pain are more valuable than your ignorance, than your comfort. That is gospel awareness. Amen. Our salvation was more important than Jesus' comfort than Jesus' ignorance. Jesus probably could have lived a really awesome, sweet, fun life being fully God and fully human on this earth. If Jesus had chosen to be ignorant, probably get out a good old time. And people would have loved him. And people would have said, you are amazing still because you do miracles and you help the poor. But Jesus knew. Jesus was aware. And said, it's not enough. Because of the why. Jesus didn't question the experience of the woman. Jesus didn't double check that everything checked out. Jesus didn't make sure that she was who she said she was. 
Jesus heard her story, listened to her pain, believed her, and did something about it. And we all have that opportunity. More so because we are the church. We can believe the stories. We can be aware. We can become more and more aware every single day. And we should. Because Christ showed us exactly how. Showed us just how important it is. And showed us that there is abundance. There is enough for all of us. Even though the systems and structures have told us that there's not. That's the lie that this woman had been believing about herself, about her story. And that's the lie that had been perpetuated by the people in power by Jairus, by his good intentions, by the people around her who really did just want to stay clean so they could have access to God. It's not a bad thing. But we here choose to be intentional about what we know, choose to be aware of our settings, of the stories around us and of our own story so that we can live like Christ we can be part of the healing that Jesus offers. Amen? Will you pray with me? God, we come before you. We know that being aware is not easy. That it is so much more than just knowing facts, just knowing details. Lord, we pray by the power of the Holy Spirit, we say to you that we are ready. We want to know. We want to be aware in a way that changes us, that changes who we are and how we do life in this world, in this place, in our context. Lord, make us aware. Make us aware of our own story. Make us aware of our own settings. And make us aware of the stories of others in a way that we haven't yet experienced, in a way that reflects your love for your children so deeply that not only are we moved by what we have learned, by what we have opened ourselves up to, but that we decide it's completely worth it to live life this way, to do life with others this way. God, show us your shalom. Show us how we can do life together in a way that reflects who you are, how you lived, the fact that you died for us because you knew our stories. You believed the truth about our longing even when we weren't aware of it enough to say something. Thank you, God, for being present. Thank you for bringing us here safely. And Lord, I pray that especially this week, especially with all that is going on in our country, in our neighborhood with this ice and snow, that we would be aware and be willing to listen to your call, to become uncomfortable, to move out of our 
safe houses, to live as Christ lived because Christ died for us and because we believe in the resurrection and the abundance that you promised each and every one of us and each and every one of our neighbors. Show us how to weep with those who weep, to rejoice with those who rejoice.